We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 613 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Wednesday July 19th 2023 it is the day before the day uh it is the day before Thursday July 20th on which NFL owners are expected to vote on the sale of the commanders from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris group Uh, This day, Wednesday, July 19th, in theory, is the last full day of the Snyders truly owning the team. Now, our guest on Monday's show, episode 611, Commander's Insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post, did make the point that the owners approving the sale technically isn't the last step in the process of the sale. Uh, The owners approving the sale isn't the handing over of the keys, but the owners approving the sale certainly is the last major step in the process of the sale. There is no turning back after that approval is received. And make no mistake, every indication is that that approval will be received. You know, we in life all want approval, right? We in life all seek approval. Well, we, at least on Thursday, will be getting the approval that we want. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Next segment, a great guest, one of the smartest people out there when it comes to talking NFL, Sam Monson. Uh, He is the lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus, and we are going to go in-depth on the commanders. So Josh Harris is a big analytics guy. Is he? Should he? Can he make the commanders a big analytics team? Uh, The analytics movement in the NFL is growing. PFF has been a big part of that. Uh, We have seen an NFC's rival, the Philadelphia Eagles, have great success in embracing analytics. Is there major opportunity for the commanders with Josh Harris as owner in doing the same as the Eagles have done? I'm going to talk with Sam Monson about that and a lot more. Uh, including his analysis of commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, uh, who Sam has ranked as the number six offensive coordinator in the NFL. 
and Sam's thoughts on another Sam, Commander's quarterback, Sam Howell. Uh, Sam Monson, one of the biggest names at PFF, is on this show next segment. Also on the show, uh, I will talk about a hideous Tuesday night for both the Nationals and the Orioles, uh, each team losing in blowout fashion. The Nats got smashed at the Chicago Cubs 17-3. Yeah, 17-3, as the Nats' bullpen completely imploded. Four Nats relievers combined to allow 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. Just awful. Uh, and the O's, they lost to the National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards at 10-3 as starting pitcher Tyler Wells had his worst start of the season. Five runs in two innings. Yeah, the Nats and the O's on Tuesday night losing by a combined score of 27-6. The pitching by the Nats and the O's on Tuesday night. As our friend Steve Spurrier said in his final press conference as Redskins head coach, uh, not very good. Not very good. No, <laughs> not very good. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from James C3 on Josh Harris, writes James. Analytically speaking, if Sam Howell struggles and with Josh Harris being into analytics, do you see a world in which Harris makes Howell start the whole season in hopes of getting a higher pick? in the 2024 NFL Draft to get in position to get or trade for one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, thank you for the tweet, James. Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, although, uh, the making it so that Sam Howell starts the whole season, even if he's bad, in order to tank, uh, might not be as blatant as Josh Harris ordering the head coach to continue to start Sam. That scenario might manifest itself more in Josh, say, firing Ron Rivera as head coach during the season and then going with an interim head coach who uh, Josh knows will continue to start Sam. But, you know, this predicament is something that I brought up on the podcast multiple times. Hopefully this coming season, Sam Howell is great. The team does great. And uh, we all live happily ever after, okay? But we, this coming season may not have uh, that predicament. Ron almost certainly is coaching for his job. We all know that. And so is he going to have the patience to stick with Sam if Sam struggles? Even though sticking with Sam to me is the way to go. A, because Sam, as a young quarterback with upside, might get better as the season goes on. You can't just pull the plug on the guy in, say, week four. And B, because even if Sam doesn't get better, the team, big picture, still is better off sticking with Sam. Because bottoming out and getting a high first-round pick in the 2024 draft would be a lot better than uh, notching a few meaningless wins with Jacoby Brissett as the starting quarterback. Uh, email from Dr. CCB on Josh Harris writes, The doctor... Uh, I have heard Howard Eskin, the longtime Philadelphia radio host, ripping Josh Harris, saying that he's only out to make money and does not care about the franchises that he owns. After hearing that interview, I was a little discouraged. I'm glad that we are finally getting rid of Dan Snyder, but now I'm left wondering what type of an owner we are actually getting with Harris and his group. But I'm trying to look at the bright side. Anyone has to be better than Snyder. What say you, my friend? Uh, well, thank you for the email, my good friend, Dr. CCB. Well, I would encourage you to listen to episode 557 
of this podcast. It was on that installment of the podcast that I spoke with John Kincaid, host of the John Kincaid Show on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia. And John said a lot of good things about Josh Harris as managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers. John is a Philly guy. He's a big Eagles fan. He said that he, as an Eagles fan, is not happy that the commanders are getting Josh Harris as their owner because Josh will be a major upgrade over Dan Snyder. I have a lot of respect for Howard Askin, but I would not take his word on Josh Harris as gospel. Uh, Just look at what Harris has done with the Sixers, okay? Let's think about this. So Josh Harris's purchase of the Sixers was finalized in October 2011. He greenlit the process, right? The uh, revolutionary all-in on analytics tank job that, yes, featured some horrendous seasons, no doubt. But the Sixers have gotten to a point now to where they have made the playoffs in each of the last six seasons. And, and this is important, the team's worst winning percentage in any of those regular seasons has been 589. For comparison's sake, the Bullets slash Wizards have had a regular season winning percentage of at least 589 just once over the last 44 seasons. So what the Bullets slash Wizards have done just once over the last 44 seasons, Josh Harris's 76ers have done each of the last six seasons. Not that the Wizards are some gold standard, okay? But to sit here and say, that Josh Harris is some terrible owner, uh, to me, is wrong. Well, also wrong is you or someone who you care about being the victim of someone else's negligence. Uh, Always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, By the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was recently named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, Heck, victims of shady lawyers, if your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace.
Well, one of the things that we've talked about with our incoming commander's owner, Josh Harris, is that he's big on something that we on this podcast are big on, analytics. Uh, He very much has demonstrated this as a managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers and managing partner of the New Jersey Devils. And I'm really hoping that he brings his commitment to the commanders, Uh, someone who understands the state of analytics in the NFL and who's going to provide insight on a lot more with the commanders is the man who joins me now, Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus and co-host of the PFF NFL podcast. You can follow Sam on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Hey, Sam, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, very happy that uh, we're on the doorstep of the Snyders selling the commanders to the Josh Harris group. So with this idea of Harris being an owner big on analytics, one of the biggest examples of that is him as 76ers owner giving the okay on the process, uh, a rebuild by which the Sixers engaged in a total teardown and went all in on analytics. Now, the NBA is not the NFL. I think we all get that. Uh, There are some really big differences. That said, if the commanders have a bad 2023 season and Harris ends up firing head coach Rod Rivera and his staff, is something as drastic as the process a sound approach to a rebuild in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, the problem with analytics generally in the NFL is that there's no defined answer. You know, there's no perfect way of doing this. And there's a lot of discussion as to what the optimal roster construction looks like, as to what the optimal salary cap situation looks like. But it always kind of assumes starting from a blank sheet of paper. And nobody does that in the NFL. You know, even if you're tearing down the roster, you're not stripping the entire thing getting rid of all, you know, 53, 90 guys on the roster and starting from scratch, you're already starting with a, from a set point where you have, you know, 15 players we want to build around, a certain amount of salary cap tied up, et cetera, et cetera. So it's never as simple as this is the optimal way of doing it. It's always a case of modifying that around what your current uh, situation already is and what your current stipulations already on the on the roster um i think there are general uh, approaches and general sort of rules of thumb that can absolutely be followed and followed probably more uh, stringently than even teams that you know have sort of pushed the analytics uh, approach have been doing because you know it starts to get um it starts to get cold and, and kind of clinical and that's where you look at the reaction to the running back stuff that's been happening over the last 24 hours, and none of these running backs on uh, franchise tags got a long-term deal. All of the teams appear to be kind of playing hardball with that position. You know, Dalvin Cook gets released rather than paid. This is the way the league is going right now, and obviously running backs hate it because those guys are getting less money. They're only... Um, getting more of a beating in terms of the physical toll on their bodies. And that position as a a whole is getting screwed. But it's very difficult to construct the argument that the teams are doing anything wrong. And in fact, if anything, should be leaning more in that direction. And maybe even the franchise tag is, you know, a bridge too far in terms of paying uh, running backs at the NFL level, given the availability of quality players at that position and how easy it is to install um, guys and just get relatively good production, even if it's only 85% of what you would get out of a Dalvin Cook or, you know, a, a one of these other top name running backs, it's close enough and you're saving a fortune that can go on another area of the team 
that will make a bigger impact towards winning games and losing games. So I think there are several sort of key tenets of the analytics approach and um, all the information that we now have about how to build an NFL roster. But it's never going to be, I think, as simple as, you know, let's follow this playbook uh, by to the letter every single step of the way. There's always going to be, I think, little bits and pieces of uh, modifying it and changing it. And that's where the real genius lies. Like, that's where you make your money as a general manager. It seems to me that in the NFL, there remains opportunity for a team that commits to analytics to have significant competitive advantages because not every team in the NFL is in on analytics in the way that basically every team in, say, Major League Baseball is now. There don't seem to be many market inefficiencies left in MLB the way that there were 20 years ago when the Oakland A's were revolutionizing MLB with Moneyball. But it would seem that there may be some exploitable uh, market inefficiencies in the current NFL. What do you think? The difference is it's not as simple as baseball. You know, it's it's far more complicated. So every time you think you know something, you know, you run, you kind of come up with a new uh, piece of information or a new confounding factor, and and all of a sudden the rule that you thought existed changes a little bit, and also the game is changing on a, on a fairly rapid rate as well. So I think most teams in the NFL at this point are in on analytics to some degree or other. Um, the, the problem is figuring out what the actual takeaways should be. And that, I think, is where it gets much more difficult because I think baseball, because it's such a sort of set uh, event game with much fewer variables, it was a lot easier to work out, quote-unquote, from an analytic standpoint, whereas football is so complicated with all these moving pieces and all these different elements factoring in at any one time, it's very, very difficult to get hard and fast rules when it comes to analytics. And so all the analytics can do is start pulling out trends, and there's always going to be um, – the, the difficulty is always going to be interpreting those trends and coming up with the actual – answers and that i think is where you're going to get the variance is these 32 different teams are going to kind of come up with 32 different interpretations of what all the data is telling them to do makes a lot of sense uh you on pff.com have been putting out various rankings uh you on july 12th came out with your top 10 offensive coordinators in the nfl and commander's assistant head coach slash Offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy was number six, uh, and you called him, quote, one of the most difficult evaluations out there, end quote, because how much of the Kansas City Chiefs offensive success during the last five seasons with him as the team's offensive coordinator was because of him is hard to say, given that the head coach, Andy Reid, uh, has been the team's primary offensive play caller, and given that the team, oh, by the way, has the best quarterback on the planet in Patrick Mahomes. What do you make of what the commanders have in the enemy as their new offensive coordinator? Yeah, it's funny when, um, you know, we did at PFF uh, defensive coordinator rankings, we did head coach rankings, and nobody wanted to do offensive coordinator rankings because when you look at the league, um, 14, I think, of the 32 coordinators are 
either first or second year guys. So you have almost no sort of information on them, no body of work to work from. There's another five or six that are working directly under head coaches that are clearly the offensive sort of brains of the operation. You know, Sean McVay with the Rams, Andy Reid in Kansas City, um, Brian Dable uh, with the Giants. So figuring out anything to do with those coordinators becomes extremely difficult. And then you have a small handful of guys that are kind of retreads. So really it, it felt like I wanted to make a list of, of like two names, you know, Ben Johnson with the lions and Kellen Moore with the chargers. Um, and, and Eric, the enemy is maybe the, the greatest kind of emblem of that problem because he himself has obviously felt the need to have to leave Kansas City to change teams to make a sideways step in the NFL in terms of um, job to prove that he can do it outside of that environment of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and, and everything that we know clearly contributes to the success uh, with the Chiefs. So I think it's very difficult to articulate or to identify what Eric Bieniemy brings to the table. And this year we're going to see that. You know, we've seen um, that. Uh, system in Kansas City go through a couple of offensive coordinators you know Matt Nagy had a head coaching job off the back of the performance the first time and you can look at that in a couple of different ways number one how come Matt Nagy got the opportunity and Eric Bieniemy didn't I think that's a certainly a fair question to ask but also I wonder if Matt Nagy failing uh, with Chicago negatively impacted Eric Bieniemy's impact. You know, suddenly the narrative does swing back to saying, well, it's all Andy Reid and whoever the coordinator is in Kansas City is basically just a, a paper coordinator while Andy Reid makes all the decisions and Patrick, Reed, or Patrick Mahomes executes it all. So it's a long answer towards saying, I don't think any of us really know what Eric Bieniemy is bringing to the table until we get a better look at it this year when he's kind of his own man and being judged on his own merits. Well, during Eric Bieniemy's run of being the offensive coordinator for Chiefs offenses that were outstanding, Washington uh, has had a bad offense in each of the last five seasons. Uh, not so coincidentally, Washington has started at least three different quarterbacks in each of the last five regular seasons. When it comes to what most dictates whether an NFL offense is good, I'm assuming that you would have quarterback as the number one factor, but what's number two? Is it scheme slash play calling? Is it offensive line? Is it playmakers? What say you? I think it can be um, any of the, the above, depending on the kind of quality of it. I mean, we've seen guys like Kyle Shanahan generate really impressive offense out of pretty much anybody, a quarterback. So it's possible, I guess, for the coordinator and the scheme um, and the play calling to be number one on that list. It just usually isn't. And when you're able to pair a good quarterback with a really good play caller and an offensive coordinator and offensive mind, that's when you typically tend to get something very impressive. But equally, when you give a a good quarterback, a really good offensive line, or a really good group of skill position players. You know, when you start surrounding this guy with talent, that's when you start to get the very best out of them. So I think, generally speaking, once you find that quarterback, your job as a um, you know as a general manager is to make sure everything around him, everything that influences quarterback play, is as good as you can realistically make it, and then juggling. You know, the, the knock-on effects that that has in terms of salary cap and where you allocate all that money. And you know, that's what 
teams like Cincinnati and Buffalo or and Kansas City are dealing with now is there's only so much money to go around, but you want everything around the quarterback to be as good as possible. Much more with Sam Monson in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Commander's quarterback Sam Howell, as we will have Sam talking Sam. Well, hopefully you do not have lawn or drainage problems, uh, but if you do, you should contact a great sponsor of the Al Galdi podcast, Turf Center Lawns. Turf Center Lawns offers a variety of residential and commercial landscaping services. It is a local, multi-generational family business serving Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Turf Center Lawns offers lawn care programs that will make and keep your lawn lush and green. Uh, Turf Center Lawns is outstanding at handling water problems. Intense summer storms can cause water and drainage problems for your home or business. Turf Center Lawns offers affordable and effective grading-based drainage solutions to prevent flooding, erosion, and wet basements and wet crawl spaces. Also, if you are a coach, an athletic director, a booster, uh, know that Turf Center Lawns can create, improve, and or maintain athletic fields. Uh, Turf Center Lawns will give you and your team a professional natural grass athletic field and performs maintenance with a specializing in Bermuda grass fields. Turf Center Lawns installed the original Bermuda grass fields at a number of major venues, including the Commander's FedEx Field when it opened as Jack Kent Cook Stadium in 1997, Prince George's County Stadium, home of the Orioles AA affiliate, the Bowie Bay Sox, and Arthur W. Purdue Stadium, home of the Orioles Low A affiliate, the Delmarva Shorebirds. Uh, Turf Center Lawns also installs and rebuilds baseball and softball infields, batting cages, home putting greens, even bocce courts. <laughs> if you have landscaping needs, drainage issues, or athletic field needs, contact Turf Center Lawns. Consultations and estimates are free. You have nothing to lose. Call 301-384-9300 or visit turfcenterlawns.com. That's 301 301- 384-9300 or turfcenterlawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. The Turf Center Lawns team is comprised of experts in their field. Uh, they share a deep commitment to exceed customer expectations on every job, whether large or small. When you hire Turf Center Lawns, your satisfaction is guaranteed. Contact Turf Center Lawns, 301-384-9300 or visit TurfCenterLawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or TurfCenterLawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus. Uh, When it comes to the quarterback for the commander's This coming season, uh, it is a quarterback who the Commanders took in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft, Sam Howell, who is being positioned to be the team's QB1. Uh, We know that so few non-first-round quarterbacks, especially day-three quarterbacks, become good NFL quarterbacks, but I do think that Sam is not your normal day-three quarterback, given that he, during the 2021 offseason, was viewed as the potential number one overall pick in the 2022 draft, given that he going into the 2022 draft was well regarded by a good number of people. I mean, you guys at Pro Football Focus had Sam as the number 34 overall player on your big board for that 2022 draft. But I am biased, okay? I am a Commanders fan. I want Sam to be good. What's your view of the team positioning Sam to be its starting quarterback for this coming season? 
Yeah, it's fascinating, and I'm excited to see it. I, aside from anything else, um, you know, whether or not it's it's best practice, I think it's a great sort of data point and case study for us all to get to witness. You know, is you're right; these guys don't typically get those kinds of opportunities very often. And you know, when you look at the the broader sample size of data and all the information that that does skew towards the higher uh, drafted a quarterback, the better he's going to perform. You have to wonder how much of that is selection bias and how much of that is simply guys that are drafted in the fifth round do not get opportunities to start and and go into a season as a team starting quarterback. It rarely manifests that way. So we don't know whether these guys can play or not a lot of the time. They're simply not being given the opportunities outside of a few snaps here or there in practice and those kinds of things. So I'm excited to see what it brings, whether or not it's a, a success or failure. But yeah, Sam Howell was an unusual case because he did slip all the way to the fifth round. It's difficult to figure out why um, because you rewind a year before the draft and he was being talked about as the number one overall pick fairly consistently. Uh, and it's not like he had a bad season to stop that from being the case, you know, to create this slide that happened. He, the offense changed. He took a step back a little bit as a passer. On the other hand, you know, his, his top target, Deontay Brown, left for the NFL. There was a lot of things that changed in that offense that would happily explain why he took a step back as a passer. And he offset that by turning into Tim Tebow when it came to running at the college level, which I don't think anybody saw coming um, based off his previous performance. So he didn't play well, or he didn't play badly at all, rather, and yet his draft stock seemed to plummet. Now, you can look at the overall quarterback class and say, you know, nobody really loved any of these guys. And there was definitely a case to say that the offense that Sam Howell was coming out of, this RPO heavy system, there's a big difference between that and a true NFL system. But we had seen him in different offenses previously. But it, it felt very strange that in that year of all seasons or of all drafts that he just completely plummeted off the face of the earth. And you know, there were a lot of people that looked at that quarterback class and said, I don't really like any of these guys. If if one of them has a chance, it's Kenny Pickett. So I think it made sense for him to be the only guy to go in the first round. But at the point where the rest of the class was getting picked off in the third round and beyond, I, I don't really understand why Sam Howell continued to, to wait for another couple of rounds before finally getting picked up. And, you know, ultimately, all we've seen from him at this point has been pretty good. Uh, he played well in two different systems in college. He played well in the preseason. He played well at that final uh, showcase game at the end of the regular season. He's earned a shot. Like He's shown good play every step of the way, and now we get to see if he can do it for real. And he might not be able to. You know, th- Just because he's played well so far doesn't mean he's going to be the guy going forward, but I think it is fair that he gets that opportunity. One of my favorite conversations that I've had on this podcast uh, was with you uh, in March 2021. We talked off Washington having signed quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick as an unrestricted free agent. And we got into this idea of, of course, the preference for a quarterback needy team always is to find the great young franchise quarterback. But that's obviously rather hard to do. And so in the meantime, going with a quarterback who's decent, if you're surrounded with talent, can be good enough to have a good season. 
Uh, Fitzpatrick in week one of the 2021 season suffered a season-ending and ultimately career-ending right hip subluxation, so we'll never know how he would have done with Washington. And uh, the commander's trade for quarterback Carson Wentz in March 2022 ended up being a big whiff. There's also this reality of the AFC being loaded with stud franchise quarterbacks and the NFC not so much. And in the NFC, you have some of the top quarterbacks, very interestingly, being non-first-round quarterbacks in the Philadelphia Eagles' Jalen Hurts and the Dallas Cowboys' Dak Prescott and our old pal, the uh, Minnesota Vikings' Kirk Cousins. Bottom line, where are you now regarding team building at the quarterback position? Yeah, I think that approach is probably still possible in the NFC, where the landscape is very different. The problem um, I think relative to when we sort of first had that conversation is now you look at how many of these quarterbacks have become great, you know, in this new wave of young guys and Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen um, and Justin Herbert. And now Trevor Lawrence looks like he's heading in that direction. And that's before you consider a kind of bounce back from Lamar Jackson from injuries and a new offense. And, you know, Deshaun Watson could bounce back to his previous level. Like all of a sudden, the landscape of quarterback play in the NFL has skyrocketed. And particularly at the high end, the amount of incredibly good players is so much, um, there's so more many of them than there were a couple of years ago, that if you're a team that has designs on actually winning anything, being pretty good probably doesn't do you any anything anymore. Um, certainly in the AFC, because how can you compete with, with those other quarterbacks? Maybe you can make the playoffs with a pretty good guy and a very good team, but you and I need to beat a sequence of the best quarterbacks in the NFL to make it to a Super Bowl and then beat whoever the NFC sends there. That just doesn't seem realistic. And I think that's why you're seeing teams like the Jets basically go all in over the course of an offseason, all or nothing for a guy like Aaron Rodgers, because they could have had Derek Carr, but what does Derek Carr do you in the AFC against those types of quarterbacks? Nothing. Like they understood that if they have any shot at competing, you need a guy in Aaron Rodgers who has MVP capabilities. Um, conversely, in the NFC, the Saints look at the landscape and they say, well, Derek Carr wins us the division, so let's do that. And the Saints you know, will be favorites for the division. If they make the playoffs, could easily win a couple of games and maybe make a Super Bowl a Super Bowl with Derek Carr quarterback. So I think generally the way the league is right now, if you're in the AFC, you need to be doing everything possible to find a superstar because that's who you're going to be measured against. That's who you're going to have to beat one after another once you get to the playoffs. If you're in the NFC, particularly if you're in a weaker division, you can afford to be a little bit more um, pragmatic and say, an average quarterback with a good roster can actually take this team quite a long way in this conference, and then you just need to get lucky you know, in a one-off knockout game in the postseason. Excellent insight. Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus. Sam, thanks a lot. Thanks. No problem. Take it easy. All right. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great Sam Monson. Uh, if you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. It could be just a sentence or two. Uh, but the ratings and the reviews help out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's amazing about what happened with the Nationals on Tuesday night is that they at one point held a 3-0 fourth-inning lead, but uh, then came the rest of the game, a 17-3 loss at the Chicago Cubs on Tuesday night in Game 2 of a three-game series. Yes, the final score was 17-3. The Nats allowed the Cubs to score six runs in the bottom of the seventh and eight runs in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, The Cubs finished the game with 20 hits and four walks, went a jaw-dropping 12 for 19 with runners in scoring position. Uh, The Nats now are 38 and 57. That is the second worst record in the National League. And the Nats' run differential now is at an even minus 100. Uh, That is the second worst run differential in the National League. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday night had one of the worst bullpen performances that you'll ever see a team have. Four Nats relievers combined to allow 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. I mean, that is something. 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. Now, yes, it is true that the Nats right now have a number of relievers out due to injury. The Nats on Monday afternoon plays their top reliever, Hunter Harvey, on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to Sunday with a right elbow strain. Uh, The Nats on July 3rd placed reliever Thaddeus Ward on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to July 2nd with right shoulder inflammation. The Nats on June 21st placed reliever Carl Edwards Jr. on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to June 20th 
with right shoulder inflammation. Uh, a key Nats reliever from last season, Tanner Rainey, uh, he's since March 30th, opening day, has been on the 60-day injured list due to Tommy John surgery that he underwent on August 3rd, 2022. So no doubt, the Nats bullpen is banged up. But, you know, that is what happens with bullpens. They suffer injuries. Uh, bullpens undergo change. The onus is on the organization to have bullpen depth, and the Nats just don't have that and haven't had that in a very long time, way too long. So four Nats relievers on Tuesday night combined to allow 14 runs in two and two-thirds innings. Uh, Amos Willingham officially allowed four runs in two-thirds of an inning. Uh, he and his outing faced seven batters and got just two outs as he gave up a solo homer and three singles and issued a hit-by-pitch. He began a six-run Cubs seventh by giving up a leadoff tie-breaking solo homer by the Cubs' number eight batter Patrick Wisdom on a moonshot to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-3 Cubs lead. The homer winner projected 415 feet per stat cast. Uh, lefty Jose A. Ferrer, he officially allowed two runs in an inning. He and that six-run Cubs seventh faced five batters and got three outs, although he, to the first batter he faced, gave up an RBI double by Ian Happ to left field for a 6-3 Cubs lead and gave up a two-out, two-run opposite field single by Miguel Amaya to right center field for a 9-3 Cubs lead, uh, although Amaya was thrown out at second base for the third out. Then came Paolo Espino, and you know, we may have seen the last of our friend Paolo. He was a disaster and what ended up being an eight-run eighth for the Cubs. Paolo officially allowed eight runs in a third of an inning. He faced 10 batters and got one out. Let me repeat that. He faced 10 batters and got one out. And then lefty Joe Lasorsa faced three batters and got two outs. I mean, this was an embarrassment, what happened with the Nats bullpen on Tuesday night. This was amateur hour. Uh, here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night uh, on Amos Willingham and then Jose A. Ferrer. Mislocation, you know, um, two to home run by a wisdom with balls right down the middle. I know he's trying to go up right there. Um, you know, and then, you know, uh, the good thing for it through strikes. Um, but yeah, they got, they got to learn, you know, they got to learn, you know, when, when you're out there in those situations, you got to make, you got to make pitches, you know, you got to hit your location. Uh, you got to work ahead. Um, but that, you know, like I said, they, it's, it's going to be a process, but you know, they got to, they're going to, they're going to learn. They got to learn. And, uh, they both got good stuff that, you know, so it's just a matter of just, Continue to work with them and get them out there. They're coming in with guys on base in some cases, and um, I imagine they're really focused on throwing strikes. So it's the learning curve, knowing that you can't just get the ball over. You have to also uh, command. And abs absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I know what you want to do. Like I said, we were talking about, hey, have a plan. You know, s stick to your strengths. Know what you know what you want to do, but you got to make you got to make pitches. You got to hit your hit your spots. Um, you know, so uh, we're gonna, I'm going to run them back out there. You know, so they got to be ready. Yes, they do. Uh, the Nats now for this regular season are 29th out of 30 major league teams in relief pitching ERA at 543. We have seen some bad Nats bullpens over the years, even when the team was really good. I mean, the 2017 and 2019 Nats come to mind in terms of Nats teams 
that have had woeful bullpens, but this 2023 Nats team may have the worst bullpen of any Nats team uh, since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher in this uh, 17-3 loss at the Cubs on Tuesday night was Patrick Corbin. He allowed three runs in five and a third innings. He allowed one run through five innings, but then allowed two runs to tie the game at three in the bottom of the six and facing the Cubs lineup for a third time in the game. Although two of the three hits that he gave up in that Cubs two run six were infield singles, including one on which second baseman Luis Garcia committed a throwing error. Uh, Corbin, for the game, gave up six hits, a solo homer, and five singles. But he had six strikeouts versus one walk. He threw 99 pitches, 61 strikes versus 38 balls. Uh, Corbin on Tuesday night ultimately was so-so, but he did do some good things. And, you know, he was coming off that great outing that he had just before the All-Star break, that 7-2 win over the American League West leading Texas Rangers at Nationals Park on July 9th. Corbin in that game, one run in seven innings with six strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, The Nats offense on Tuesday night was uh, no match for the Cubs offense. The Nats totaled three runs, nine hits, and three walks, went two for nine with runners in scoring position. There were some bright spots, though, uh, for the Nats offensively. Cape at Ruiz uh, off getting on base four times in the Nats 7-5 win at the Cubs on Monday night, uh, got on base three more times on Tuesday night. Uh, he is the Nats starting catcher and number five batter, went two for three with two singles and a walk. Dominic Smith, uh, he is the Nats starting first baseman and number six batter, went three for four with a double and two singles. I tell you, Smith actually has been better lately as a batter, including hitting for some power lately. And speaking of hitting for power, Lane Thomas, uh, he on Tuesday night homered. Uh, he is the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, went one for five with a solo homer and two strikeouts. Thomas in the Nats, one run first, had a one out first pitch solo homer uh, on a bomb uh, to left field for a one nothing Nats lead. The homer went a projected 400 13 feet per stat cast. But yeah, it is comical uh, to look back on the Nats having led in this game that they ended up losing 17-3. Some happier Nats news, another promotion for third baseman Brady House. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday promoted Brady House from High A Wilmington to Double A Harrisburg. Uh, This marks House's second promotion in a little more than a month. Uh, The Nats on June 9th promoted House from low A Fredericksburg to high A Wilmington. Uh, House in 16 games for Wilmington had an OPS of 907. So he now really is soaring through the Nats minor league system. It's really good to see House having the season that he's having. So the Nats took Brady House out of a high school in Georgia with the number 11 overall pick in the 2021 MLB draft. Uh, This season is just his age 20 season. House's 2022 season for Fredericksburg uh, ended in June 2022 due to a back injury. And the season did not go well. House in the 2022 season for Fredericksburg totaled 202 plate appearances and an OPS of just 731. He did this as a shortstop. Uh, House then beginning with this season made the transition to being a third baseman. And House in this season for Fredericksburg over 158 plate appearances had an OPS of 869 then did well for Wilmington, and now has been promoted to Harrisburg. And, you know, the deal is this. Once a top prospect is at the AA level, the watch for him to be promoted to the majors is on. Uh, So we now are on Brady House watch. Now, I don't know about House being promoted to the majors this season, although I wouldn't entirely dismiss that. But the Nats' top three prospects for Baseball America right now are one- outfielder Dylan Cruz, two, 
outfielder James Wood, and three, Brady House. The Nats on July 9th took Cruz with the number two overall pick in the 2023 MLB draft and are in the process of working out signing him. And the Nats, I do believe, will be signing Dylan Cruz, and I anticipate that becoming official uh, in the coming days here. Uh, But you have now both Wood and House at AA Harrisburg. Here's the bottom line. All three guys could be playing for the Nats at the major league level next season. Now, maybe not at the beginning of next season. In fact, I would advocate for all three of those guys to not be playing at the major league level at the beginning of next season due to service time considerations. But by this time next year, all three guys could be playing for the Nats at the major league level. Uh, Not having a good season is another Nats prospect. Outfielder Elijah Green, who the Nats took out of IMG Academy in Florida with the number five overall pick in the 2022 MLB draft. Uh, Green for Loe Fredericksburg this season has an OPS of just 644, and he had not been playing lately for an unknown reason. Well, Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo on Tuesday spoke with reporters and revealed that Green is dealing with a sprained left wrist. Uh, Green has had a big time strikeout problem this season. What is just his age 19 season? So, I mean, he is really young, but Green for Fredericksburg this season, 248 plate appearances. He has struck out a whopping 106 times. Game three for the Nats at the Cubs Wednesday night at 8.05. Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles on Tuesday night were on national television. Uh, Their game two of a three-game series against the National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards was on TBS. And, uh... The O's on Tuesday night did not show well for themselves on uh, TBS. A 10-3 loss. Uh, this off a 6-4 loss on Monday night. The O's on Tuesday night committed four errors. Uh, the O's so far in this series are getting worked by the Dodgers. Uh, this series is a battle of the second-best team in the American League in the O's against the second-best team in the National League in the Dodgers. But uh, you would not know that in watching the first two games of this series. So the O's now are 57-37, and 37, but they still are just a game behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. Uh, The Rays on Tuesday night lost their third consecutive game, a 5-3 loss at the American League West leading Texas Rangers. Uh, Tyler Wells, he has had a really good season for the O's, but he on Tuesday night had his worst start of the season. Uh, Wells, in this 10-3 loss to the Dodgers, allowed five runs in two innings. Uh, Yeah, Wells did not do well uh, on Tuesday night. He gave up six hits, a three-run homer, and five singles. He issued two walks and a wild pitch. He recorded two strikeouts. He, over his mere two innings, threw a staggering 59 pitches. Uh, Wells did toss a scoreless top of the first with two strikeouts, but he then allowed five runs in the top of the second, during which he gave up a three-run home run by Jason Hayward to center field for a 3-0 Dodgers lead. The homer winner projected 414 feet for a stat cast. Look, a starting pitcher over the course of a season is going to have some bad outings. And like I said, Wells overall has had a very nice season, but this was surprising uh, to see well struggle like this. Here was those manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Tyler Wells. 
you know, I just uh, he had a couple walks there too, which isn't like him. Um, the homer to Hayward was behind in the count. He's behind in the count a little bit, uh, and then it's a good hitting team, so you got to be able to execute pitches. And he just didn't do it. You know, that second inning was rough for him. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, Tyler Wells for this regular season still is number one among all qualified pitchers in the majors in WHIP. Uh, your Tyler Wells major league leading WHIP now is at 0.98, but his ERA now is at 354 over 19 games, including 18 starts. But to me, the bigger concern with the O's right now is their relief pitching. Uh, the Orioles bullpen is becoming a concern. The team's Top two relievers, Felix Batista and Yanir Cano, overall have been terrific this season, uh, although Cano has cooled off. But the team's other relievers are shaky. Uh, the 6-4 loss on Monday night, three Orioles relievers officially combined to allow two runs in four innings. But I say officially because included in that mix was Brian Baker in a five-run Dodgers six, giving up a two-out grand slam by Chris Taylor to center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-4 Dodgers lead. And then in this 10-3 loss on Tuesday night, three Orioles relievers combined to allow five runs, four earned in seven innings with six walks, but also nine strikeouts. Uh, Cole Irvin, he officially allowed two runs in four innings. He tossed four scoreless innings, but then was charged with two runs in a four-run Dodgers seventh, which he began by issuing back-to-back walks. Irvin, in his appearance, had four strikeouts, but also issued three walks and a hit-by-pitch. Then we had CNL Perez. Uh, he was back. He made his return, but he did not look good. Uh, Perez officially allowed two runs in one inning, but he and that four-run Dodgers seventh faced eight batters and got just three outs as he issued three walks and gave up a single. Uh, the O's on Tuesday afternoon reinstated Perez from the 15-day injured list, which he had been on since July 4th, retroactive to July 3rd with left forearm soreness. And then Mike Bauman, uh, he on Tuesday night allowed one run unearned in two innings with four strikeouts. The Orioles' bullpen can't just be all about Felix Batista and Yanir Cano. The O's need to get more uh, out of the team's other relievers. Now, Danny Coulomb has had a nice season, but the state of the Birds' bullpen, uh, which has been leaned on a good bit, is becoming an issue. Uh, the O's on Tuesday night totaled three runs on nine hits and two walks, went two for ten with runners in scoring position. The nine hits consisted of three doubles and six singles. The standout was Aaron Hicks. Uh, he is the Orioles' starting center fielder and number six batter, went two for four with an RBI double and an RBI single as Cedric Mullins missed a third consecutive game due to right quadriceps tightness. Uh, Aaron Hicks, over 134 plate appearances for the O's, has an OPS of 840. And the O's have needed Hicks with Cedric Mullins having missed so much time. The O's on May 30th as a corresponding roster move to placing Mullins on the 10-day entered list with a right groin strain signed Hicks to a major league contract off the New York Yankees on May 26th, having released Hicks off having designated him for assignment. And Hicks, in what is his age, 33 season, has done a good job for the O's. I give the guy a lot of credit. Uh, also, with the O's on Tuesday, they did announce the signing of their 2023 first-round pick, outfielder Enrique Bradfield Jr. Uh, the O's took Bradfield out of Vanderbilt University with the number 17 overall pick in the 2023 MLB draft. Game three for the O's against the Dodgers Wednesday afternoon at 105. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 614. We'll provide you with more on the commanders as Thursday is an oh-so big day for a football team. Also, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Wednesday night at 8.05 of Game 3 of a three-game series at the Chicago Cubs. The O's on Wednesday afternoon at 1.05 have Game 3 of a three-game series against the Los Angeles Dodgers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Not very good. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.